Anthony for three. Bang! Curry way downtown. Bang! Seconds. Bryant for the win. Bulls trying to get open. Fires away. Bang! It's over. Doncic pulls up three-pointer. Bang! Bang! It's good. Doncic wins the game at the buzzer. Welcome to the Knockdown J NBA podcast, where we talk about everything going on in the league. I am your host, Jalen Dixon, and today we are talking about bold predictions heading into the 2022-23 season. Look, man, there's a lot of time still between now and training camp in the NBA, and even more time before opening night. But there's a lot of speculation around some of the things that we are going to be having to keep an eye on throughout the season. There are also a lot of high hopes and a lot of downers going into the NBA season. Today, we are going to focus on predicting some of the more intriguing things across the league. In order to do this, I'm actually going to turn the show over to my good friend and host of the Two Guys One Who podcast, Brian Stevens, because I let him come up with some of the topics. But before we start in that, Brian, how you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. I'm so excited to be here. I've been waiting for the knockdown, Jay. Um, you are a master at uh, at content, and I, I, I'm so excited to be a part of it. Thank you for inviting me on. Oh man, I really appreciate that, Brian. I'm just trying to, you know, just trying to do what I think out here, have some really solid basketball conversations. So kind of to set the stage for how we're going to go about this episode, as I said beforehand, Brian came up with the topics. We're going to go through five of his most intriguing hot takes, bold takes heading into the regular season. And he had a pretty free canvas to work with. He could go from player-based things like awards or significant jumps, players that are going to fall off, teams that are going to take major leaps, teams that are going to fall off, trades that might happen. The entire thing was kind of an open lane for him to kind of make decisions on how he wanted to go about this list. So I think we're going to get a pretty solid variety here. With that being the case, Brian, let's start with your first bold prediction. Which one, which one would you like to start with? I, I So I wanted to... I'm not the best hot take person, right? But mm. I, I wanted to use this as an opportunity to kind of flex that muscle, right? To kind of get in that space because uh, it's healthy. It's not always mm. like, hey, what's the safest pick or what's the the consensus, right? So I'm mm. using this to be a little bit more brave, a little bit more bold. So thank you for this opportunity again. Mm-hmm. Um I'm going to I'm going to work the uh my list from that I gave you from 5 to 1. Um okay. and I uh, I I tried to be mostly positive so I think that there's some positives on this list and um a few negatives, right? So the first thing I want to talk about is Anthony Edwards. Uh I kind of I loved him coming out of the draft. I thought he was uh, had the potential to be uh, a superstar. Uh, coming into the league, I worried about uh, some of the things that everybody worried about: his shooting, his un- the unknowns, his passion, his drive. Well, what we found out after two seasons is that should never have been in question. And <laughs> I think he is a complete stud. I think he's going to take a huge step. I'm making the prediction now on your po- on your podcast, so we can go back to this in uh, a year and and pat myself on on the back. He is going to make an All NBA team this year. I think he's going to make a huge jump. I think Minnesota is going to be a top five seed this year, and it's going to be because of him. Rudy's going to get a lot of light because he's added to the roster. Uh, you know, everybody 
thinks that this is Cat's team, but it's not. This is Anthony Edwards' team. I think we see it. He uh, is not going to shy away to the, the limelight. We're going to see. Uh, I mean, did you watch Hustle? Did you watch the movie Hustle with Adam Sandler? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a superstar, man. The guy is just charismatic. And so on the court, he's a superstar. Off the court, he's a superstar. I feel like he's going to eat up headlines this year. And I truly believe if he was in any other location outside of Minnesota, he would already be a superstar, right? Mm -hmm. If he was in New York or he was in LA, or even if he was in one of the Texas teams, I think he would just be blowing up right now. So my biggest hot take right now is that Anthony Edwards is going to break into that top 15 player mold this year. Oh man. So another thing that I forgot to preface at the beginning was Brian did send me a decent list of the topics that he wanted to talk about, but he didn't actually give me the takes themselves. He just gave me the topic just so I could be able to research for all of this. But all NBA status is one hell of a jump. Now, of course, we got to put it in context. 72 games last year, averaged 21 points, almost five rebounds, almost four assists. I think you make a really great point that even last season, he made small strides on the defensive end as a guy that like we worried about whether or not he was going to be able to make that, like you said, make that effort towards being a legitimate two-way player, the way his frame and athleticism kind of sets him up to be an elite-level guy at that position, right, as a two-way guy. I think the other thing that's really important about what you said is his factoring into the team's success moving forward. I think not only the swagger and charisma that he brings is something that permeates throughout the rest of the team, but I think that his shot creation last season in particular was really important to opening up the offense as a whole last year, right? Especially with the fact that there's still kind of questions around the whole point guard situation for Minnesota. Of course, D'Lo's the guy, but there's a situation right now where you could argue that he's a dude who still has a lot to prove in terms of whether or not he can help lead this team to being a perennial playoff team. So with that being the case, we know who Carl Anthony Towns is. Not to say that he can't take another leap, but we kind of know who he is for the most part. Same thing with Rudy Gobert. He's definitely a defensive fulcrum, but like at the same time, I think we've kind of seen the most of whoever Rudy yeah. is, like as a player overall. Yeah. So the one guy who, if you go from seasons prior of Minnesota Timberwolves mediocrity, so to speak, to last season taking that jump, the only way, the only way to see a trajectory moving forward with Minnesota would be through Anthony Edwards. So I think that's a really great point. I want to ask you this too, to kind of build off of that. What do you think, what do you think is the capabilities of this team after seeing the trade they made, obviously, for Rudy Gobert. This is something that we kind of talked about on your podcast a little bit. But uh for for my listeners, I want to get your thoughts on. Thoughts after the Rudy Gobert trade and like your expectations for Minnesota now with the fact that it seems as though they have pretty high expectations for themselves. Yeah. So I, prior to the Rudy trade, I wasn't necessarily high on them as a team. I, I've, I loved Ant since the playoffs, right? I'm not a huge cat fan. I, I think offensively, he's probably the most skilled big man in the league. And that's saying a lot because we have Embiid and we have uh, Nikola Jokic, but I think Cat's passing ability, his shooting ability. I mean, he his inside out game is just fantastic. The, the biggest problem is he just does not give two shits about. I'm oh, sorry, can we cuss on here? <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> All right, sorry, he doesn't give two shits about about defense, and we've seen that. And even in the playoffs, he struggled defensively, right? And I think that what they've decided is okay. 
we can't get cats play defense. He's not going to play defense. So we're going to go out and we're going to put Rudy at the, at the five cats going to play the four and we're going to try to cover up some of those defense defense inefficiencies with, you know, multiple time defensive player of the year. I actually like that strategy because it takes Mm. the pressure off cat a little bit and he can just be that Carmelo where he can just focus on the offensive end and he can carry you through droughts. You know, uh, if they do, if the coaching goes properly and they can stagger those minutes between ant and cat who's on and off the court, the offense should be just unstoppable. And I think that adding Rudy just, it it also helps. It also helps um, D'Angelo Russell too, because that was kind of the secret that last year he just was terrible on defense as well. Like he was not good. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, you know, as a Laker fan, I'm happy to bring in Pat Beverly, but I feel like it was kind of a mistake, you know, adding him in that trade, honestly, from a defensive standpoint, but he mm-hmm. had to get Rudy. So whatever. Um, I think, yeah, I, I like the prospects of Minnesota this year. Like I said, I'm having them as a probably about a fifth seed. I think mm. that, you know, they could, depending on who the four seed is, matchup wise, um, they could make it to the second round. I don't see them going too far past the second round, mm. um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, injuries happen and then all of a sudden they went on one of those freakish runs like Atlanta did a couple years ago where they make the Western Conference Finals. And you're like, how did this team get to the Western Conference Finals? Well, they mm. have three really, really solid players in their core. And if the, you know, if the, the table breaks right, you know, and uh, the cue ball, f- falls in the right spot well they could make a run but i don't think they're a championship caliber team necessarily yeah i actually don't think that i've really gotten too high on them in terms of their playoff success uh attributes because of the fact that i think their team is still a piece away i think that has Mm -hmm. a lot to do with what d'angelo russell either is or what they are able to do with him in terms of creating some kind of other for uh, sure adjustment like whether it's uh further depth or being able to get an upgrade at the point guard position i think that d'lo in its own sense, is the pathway to whatever that upgrade is, outside of, of course, Anthony Edwards improving. Um, I actually will say that I've one of my bolder takes actually since starting this podcast is related to the Minnesota Timberwolves in the sense that I think Rudy Gobert is really good for them during the regular season. Yeah. Um, to the point that I actually have went out on a limb and said that I think that this team is capable of being the number one seed in the Western Conference from a regular season standpoint. And wow. I say that just because if you look at the Utah Jazz and the past couple of seasons, they have been a top four seed pretty much routinely. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year was a little yeah. bit of an awkward year, but for the most part, they were routinely a top four team in the league. Rudy Gobert missed time for Utah, and they completely forgot how to play basketball because the defensive end <laughs> yeah. became that much more glaring on a regular basis. I would say that the Minnesota Timberwolves have a better roster from a talent perspective, at least a better upside from a talent perspective than Utah has ever had around Rudy yeah. Gobert. Not even just from an offensive standpoint, but I would argue even from a defensive standpoint as well. Mm-hmm. So with that being the case, Rudy Gobert is good for giving you to, to add double digit wins to your record during the regular season just because unlike a lot of guys throughout the regular season he gives a shit on defense right right that's yeah. one of those things that'll win you games significantly especially when you have two other studs yeah. that can score the basketball something that i don't think utah had guys who could score but i think they only had one guy you knew could go out and go crazy and do damage on a regular basis jordan mm-hmm. clarkson of course six man of the year level candidate but kind of streaky bogdanovich a guy who is definitely solid, but not a guy that you're going to say, go get you a bucket on a regular basis. When you look at Minnesota, they have two guys that you can say that about. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, along yeah. with a good supporting cast. So I'm a little bit higher on Minnesota in terms of a regular season standpoint. Um, same, same. But I think you make a really great point about the postseason. I think that we've seen I think that we've seen a pretty decent representation of regular season play with the Twin Towers lineup, mm-hmm. right? The Anthony Davis, Boogie Cousins thing, uh, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen just last season. But this ideology of it, with a guy who is very offense and a guy who is very defense yeah. is one of those things that I would say the puzzle pieces out loud sounds like they fit perfectly. But I think especially in a playoff setting where teams are more likely to go uh, go small, game slows down, things like that, it'll be a question to see if those two guys are allowed to still be able to stay on the floor next to each other in order for their team to be effective. Yeah, um, I think that ma- yeah. matchups matter so much in the playoffs. They really do. It really do. I mean, there are certain teams that are just you know better, like Boston uh, and and Milwaukee and Golden State. Those teams are kind of ab- above the fray in terms of matchups because they have deep teams. That's why they're the elite of the elite. But right. matchups in the first and second round can can mean a lot. I also want to mention, you know, like yeah, the 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 Timberwolves added Gobert, but they also added Bryn Forbes. LB. Mm. They also added um uh Austin Rivers. Um there's somebody else they added it's on the tip of my tongue. They added a couple other players. Oh, Kyle Anderson. Slow-mo. I, I'm a huge slow-mo fan. So mm-hmm. like these are these are not just like add-ins or throw-ins. These are players that can add to your team, right? I mean, I think that they've done a good job of beefing up their bench outside of just that big trade. Yeah, so I'm really, like I said, really high on Minnesota. I'm kind of glad that you have so much belief in Anthony Edwards because I think in year and a year like this, where I think Minnesota is committing much more to the idea of taking that next step forward as a team that wants to make the playoffs consistently as opposed to every blue moon, I think that he is going to be a big portion of that. And I think he's going to be a big reason, almost kind of like an underrated reason. I think you mentioned this beforehand. Carl Anthony Towns has been the face of the franchise for seasons over seasons now. And Rudy Gobert obviously is the biggest acquisition of the summer, uh, regardless of how you feel about him from a talent perspective, right? When you look at least the draft capital that he was, that <laughs> yeah. was required, he was easily the, the, the biggest you know, talent acquired from a, uh, from a draft capital standpoint. So I think that Anthony Edwards, in a sense, does get thrown under the rug a little bit in terms of his overall impact on this team next season. Despite the fact that I agree with you, he actually might be the most important out of mm-hmm. any of the three. Um, with that, I want to transition to your second bold take heading into next season. What would you like that to be? This is, again, we're talking bold takes, and this really – I started looking at, like, players who – could make a jump and that's what i wouldn't really wanted to really talk about and you know obviously anthony edwards is one there was a player in the playoffs who just kind of set the league on fire and then he got hurt and things kind of fizzled and i think that's john morant and i think john mm. morant is going to be in the running for mvp this year i think he's going to finish top five mvp race um it's going to be hard to jump over Embiid, Giannis, and um uh, the Joker, um, but and, and probably Tatum. I, I see Ja finishing fifth, but I I, tr- I think this could be his regular season. I truly do. I could see him mm. being one two and scoring. I I could see Memphis being a number one seed, and, and, and uh, that's not. I don't think that's a far stretch. I think they are a top mm. three seed. Um, I don't think it's a hot take to say that we could see Phoenix slide back a little bit from a regular regular season standpoint. Same thing with Golden State. Um, 
just because we know that sometimes these teams, they, they, they start to realize, okay, yeah, we don't want to finish fifth, but we don't need to just go all out to be the one seed. Mm, you know? Exactly. And uh, we tend, we all, we tend to see like every so often this young team that was good floating around, you know, those middle seeds take that leap during the regular season, just because everything starts to click. Um, mm. I don't have a lot of faith in Memphis's, uh, long-term projection into the playoffs um because i think the west is just ridiculously tough mm-hmm. but i do think that they're going to be uh, either a one or two seed possibly and i think jaw is going to be in consideration for the mvp yeah and i think that you make a really great point in terms of talking about that next step because i think that is the progression of memphis right if you look at the last two seasons they literally go from well three seasons ago uh they had not made the playoffs at all it was kind of the the start of moving into the next era of Grizzlies basketball. Then um, after that, they make the playoffs and they get taken out in the first round. Next, The next season being last season, they are in a position where, like you mentioned beforehand with John Morant getting injured, that was a very competitive series. Yeah. And some, some did argue that if John Morant rem- remained healthy, maybe that series goes different. I am not necessarily a believer in that just because of the way that Stephen Curry specifically played throughout the, the majority of the postseason. But I think you can make a solid argument for that. I mean, John Morant also won most improved player. And as a already on the – on the verge of superstar status, if not to some people already considered as such, the reason why he even won most improved player was because he went from a guy who was considered as a fringe all-star to jumping into that all-star category. Mm -hmm. And I think we've talked about this on your podcast before that I think that's actually the most interesting jump for a guy to make because it's actually the hardest. The expectation level from going from a guy who maybe averages 10 and 5 and ends up being a role player and then gets put in a better position to be able to show off more of his skill set and then jumps to 17 and 8. That's not a significant jump, despite the fact that maybe his play style has improved. He's become a little bit better on the ball and things like that. It's a definitely a good jump. It is a showing. It is a very uh, good sign of improvement. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's necessarily something that is worthy of most improved. This is not to take hits at guys like Jeremy Grant and guys like that. But I say that just to to frame it around the the idea that most improved player is about the guys who take that jump that is unfathomable unless you have been so in the lab you are so understanding of what you need to do in order to improve that when it reflects on the floor you almost look like a completely different Mm. player and i Mm -hmm. think that when you talk about john moran as an all-star caliber player already and then making the kind of leap we saw last season that is one of those jumps that far far few in between have actually been able to make the transition for i want to take that as a way to transition to you in this by sticking on memphis about um kind of kind of doing the expectation thing again when you talk about minnesota when we were talking about minnesota earlier but looking at it from the framework of memphis is in an interesting spot because of the fact that they have so much young talent on their Mm -hmm. team um, we've brought this up in the past about the Oklahoma City Thunder, a team that has a, a, a so many picks they can't even go to the casino table with them to use them as money, despite mm-hmm. the fact that I'm sure yeah. they would love to, right? And I think that Memphis has followed somewhat of a sim- similar pathway without actually having to tank to do so, right? Just mm-hmm. being able to acquire a lot of talent through the second round and things like that. But it seems like they've tried their very hardest to just develop internally, in order to be this caliber of team. 
So my question to you is, do you think that we are due sooner rather than later for this Memphis team to make a big move in order to consolidate? Do you think they should? Or do you think that the pathway they've been on has already been good enough and something that they should continue to follow? Yeah, it's hard because the market right now is just insane, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely think that if there was a star available, um, a second a second tier star, that they should make that move 100%. I don't think that they should like necessarily go for a Kevin Durant type player because that, you know, you're trading, you're going to have to trade a lot for a small mm-hmm. window. And you have Ja. And, and real quick, let me just, I wanted, and I, I wanted to, Highlight the jaw thing real quick, um, okay? And, and then I'll, I'll I'll answer your question. Ja Morant averaged almost twenty eight points a game last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was twenty seven six and five on fifty seven mm-hmm. games. If that if he if you extrapolate that out and he he plays seventy games, and that's kind of the problem is is he going to be able to play seventy games, right? Mm-hmm. But if he plays seventy games and averaged twenty eight seven and six. That's NBA M- NBA MVP caliber talent, right? Especially, mm-hmm. I mean, how many more games would they have won? What would their FC been last year? So I don't think that it's that hot of a take to say that he can take that leap and 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 this team can finish that high because if he plays in seventy games, twenty three more games than he played this year, or sorry twenty sorry thirteen more games, and you know they improve significantly, right? Uh, those thirteen games, you know, who knows? They go ten and three and look at where they're at in the in the standings instead of where they finished. So I just wanted to to, to say that because I think it's it's not that an extreme of a take, but people are probably going to hear it and be like, "What?" Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, even though this team has a lot of talent, you know, you have you know Brooks, Bain, Triple J, uh, Jarrett Culver. I think um, I think. You know, I love I like Tillman. Uh, they have young talent, but it's hard for me to imagine a lot of this developing into someone being a huge second star, right? Uh, uh, an all star, mm-hmm. right? I don't know. I mean, Triple J could. Um, he needs to quit fouling. He needs to stay on the on the court. Um, I don't. I wouldn't trade him, honestly. But mm-hmm. that's the, the, they definitely could make a trade for, like I said, a second tier. Um, player. I, I don't know who that player is. We don't tend to like know who that's going to be until they pop up, right? We didn't know Kevin Durant <laughs> right. was going to request a trade until he requested a trade, and even though it didn't happen. Uh, so it's hard to say like what that player looks like. Um, you know, I, I look back to opportunities they had in the past, and this is going to kind of shoot you in the heart. But Demar Derozan would have been fantastic on this team. Um, he would have just, I mean, I think his leadership, his skill set, uh, his defense, like that all, that's the type of player that I think they really need in terms of like the level of superstar they need to mm-hmm. fit in beside Ja. Like, obviously mm-hmm. it's not going to be tomorrow. The Bulls aren't trading him. Um, they feel like they've hit gold, right? And they should, but like that type of player, I feel like is the type of player that, and I don't know who that is. Like, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, players become unhappy all the time and teams decide to hit the reset button all the time. So I don't really know who that player is, but I think they do need to make a trade if they ever want to win a title. I don't think Mm -hmm. that this, I don't think that any of these players could develop into the type of player that they need to put beside Ja in order for them to, to contend. Yeah. And I think you make a really good point. And I think DeMar is an interesting, uh, 
I think he's an interesting example only for this sense. I think the main point that you're trying to make is that they are in a situation where they need a secondary ball handler that can be a go-to scorer down the yeah. stretch if John Morant is the one that is game planned for, which he typically is on a night-to-night basis when healthy, right? Exactly. And they have guys who are slowly developing into that. Desmond Bain, like you mentioned beforehand, knockdown shooter, showed showed ball handling ability last season. Dylan Brooks is a guy who is, I think he has the grit to take those shots. He has the grit to be a closer down the down the stretch, but he's also a guy who gets really inefficient when he starts mm-hmm. to feel himself. Yeah. He's a guy who could definitely yeah. fill up the box score, but he's also a dude who, when he's having an off night, it can really get cold, and that could be something that makes an offense that's so dynamic very stagnant. Obviously, Triple J, like you mentioned beforehand, he's um, first of all, he's a post player, so there's only but so many post players we have in the league that you can play your offense through. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a few of them earlier, and they're all MVP candidate guys. Triple J has never been considered as that, not to this, not uh, not to this point in his career, and even this season, he's enter- he's entering the season injured and probably going to miss at least the first month or two of the season. Right. Something that makes it where even from a secondary star standpoint, their secondary guy is relatively unreliable and has been so for the majority of his career. Um, so I think that you make a really good point in the sense that they need to be able to grab somebody that they feel as though they can close with as a secondary ball handler to help John Morant out in terms of creating offense and closing games out strongly. Because I think that was something else that me and you on your podcast had talked about in the series against Golden State was there was some there was some games in that series where it seemed like Memphis was in it and just let it go. And mm-hmm. we kept pointing the we kept pointing the finger to inexperience. I think the same thing happened in the Minnesota series where the tug of war between those two teams, it just seemed like a battle of inexperience and the inability yeah. for both teams to find out how to close and it being simply somebody had to just have the better player and I think Mm -hmm. in that series John Morant had just emerged as that so I think there's a lot to be said about like what they need to do but I also want to bring it to you uh bring this to your attention to get your thoughts on this I think another way that I look at Memphis is the Atlanta Hawks I think you talked about this earlier when you talked about Minnesota but let's talk about it from a roster construction standpoint Atlanta made the Eastern Conference Finals two seasons ago and they got content because everybody in the offseason said that from internal development, hey, Cam Reddish will be healthy this year. Mm-hmm. DeAndre Hunter will be ready this year. Clint Capella will be back. John John Collins and Trey Young's as and Trey Young as a combination will be even better next season. And they figured all the offense, offseason hype of internal development was going to help propel them from, hey, man, if they made the Eastern Conference Finals last year, oh, they're going to do damage next year, right? And we saw how that ended up happening because staying stagnant in the NBA is something that's a limiting thing, not just for your roster, but your ability moving forward as an actual success story. I think that what you're you're only as good as the players you put on the floor, not as good as your last season. Your last right. season is not reflective of anything to happen moving forward because storylines are different. Circumstances are different. So with that being the case, I see it as something where Memphis – is in a situation with all the depth that they have, the idea of trying to build from internally, that getting too complacent actually is a bit of a detriment to their roster, despite the fact that I'm definitely uh, Mm pro-internal development, definitely pro-internal development. But we've seen in a multitude of different representations that there is a ceiling to that 
for certain teams, even Boston Celtics, right? The development internally, they've been able to try to build a roster from the inside out for years now. Of course, every time they tried to poach somebody from outside, Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, things like that, they, of course, ended up not working out. So, of course, there's, there's two sides to the coin, of course. But at the same time, there's a ceiling on these things when you don't feel as though you have a have a bona fide MVP mm-hmm. caliber player. Like you said, John Morant has the capability to be that, but until he is that, the supporting cast around him means that much more. So I kind of want your thoughts on that from the sense of like, do you feel like we are close to a ceiling on the Memphis Grizzlies or do you still think in terms of their roster as currently constructed, or do you think that there's still much more for them to go? Yeah, I do. I I think that they're they've kind of reached the ceiling with what they have, and mm. that's like I said, the regular season you can win games. Like there's games that is, if you have a player like Ja who's just like a maniac, hundred miles an hour, wants to win every game, <laughs> like you're mm-hmm. gonna win a lot of games in in the regular season, even if you miss key players, right? Even if 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 Triple J's you know misses twenty five games, right? Like you, you mm-hmm. are still gonna be in those games because you have a player, your best player is still on the court. Um, but in the playoffs, it, it's a, it's just a different, it's a different basketball game, right? Like mm-hmm. things are just different. It's just the way it is. So in terms of like their championship ceiling, I mean, I can't see them again, kind of like Minnesota. Could they make the, the, the final, the Western conference finals? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can they make it out of the West? I just can't see them beating the top four teams all in a row. It's just, mm-hmm. I, I just can't. Um, and I mean, that's why it's important for them to actually get a good seed during the regular season to have some kind of home court advantage to have favorable matchups in the first uh, couple rounds, you know, but their depth, I think, is going to be a real issue this year um, because mm. they lost players. Too, right. I mean, we mentioned slow-mo. They, they lost players um, that gave them solid minutes this year. And yeah. I think their depth was actually one of the most um most valuable assets they had last year. Right. And some of that depth went away and you're going to have to see Zaire Williams play more and Tillman. Like these, there's some of these young players are going to have to fill those roles that they weren't really asked to do before. Um, so I think they, if they want to be a championship contender, if they truly want to win the title, if they think mm. that they have a window, then you have to pull a trigger on a trade again. Mm. I don't know who that player is. I don't know where they're coming from, but um you have if you if if a player and again I'm just throwing a player out there I don't, I'm not saying that you know we know Beal's got a no trade clause but if a <laughs> right. player like Beal came up and was a bit you have to throw your hat in with Miami with mm. um you know the Lakers or Boston and you 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 have to be one of those teams that's looking to to bring in these players right and I want to piggyback on something you said real quick before we transition to your your third prediction which is. The idea of them losing the depth, right? Outside of just uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. being injured, like you mentioned beforehand, you mentioned slow-mo, also DeAnthony Melton. You talk yeah. about the uplifting of a guy like Zaire Williams, the guys that they drafted recently. It sounds like they're pretty high on guys like Kenneth Lofton and other guys that they picked up in the draft, especially after their outstanding summer league. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just goes to show you how all-in they are on development to the point that they just believe that they can almost recycle talent mm-hmm. based off just what they have internally and i do wonder what the ceiling on that is and we have to talk about it and i don't like doing this too much but the john morant health circumstance thing does factor into your timeline as well john morant is signed up long term but 
I've brought this up in past podcasts, so I'm not going to beat this drum too hard. But of course, I'm a Derrick Rose fan as a as a Bulls a Bulls fan as well. And John Morant, Derrick Rose both play with a similar volatile play style. And with that being the case, the injury prone ness of their play style is something that puts a lid on how long you can be successful mm-hmm. at that kind of level. Derrick Rose and the the Bulls were successful to championship status compa- uh, compared to guys like Paul George with the Indiana Pacers or LeBron James in the mm-hmm. big three in the Miami yep. Heat for only a three-year span before everything took a turn for the worst, right? That's not to say that John Morant is ha- has to have a similar ceiling to that, because I think John Morant has a, a lot of other things, including like facilitation, for example, in his game that still will make him significantly um, effective um, with the play style that he has, despite the fact that it's so dangerous. But with that being said, there is still a lot that comes with that that has to make you wonder like, OK, how long can we manage to be in this picture, in this conversation as constructed, knowing that this is something that we have to factor in every year being a potential John Morant injury, something that actually has taken place in nearly every season since been being drafted. Um, but with that, I want to transition over to your third bold prediction. What is that? So again, we're sticking with the positive theme so far. Uh, and you know, honestly, um, can I throw, well, well, I'll, I'll, I'll wait. Um, so, this is probably the one that I'm most proud of and most excited for um, okay. because I think uh, I'm the most um, confident about this one, to be honest with you. Oh, okay. And that's uh, Orlando Magic are making the playoffs. Um, okay. Brian's they, on the bandwagon. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So I think when you look at the, the East and – this will parlay into my second point too. Um, I think that there's opportunity for shuffling to go on uh, at the bottom of, of the rankings. Right. I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of question marks with a lot of teams uh, in, in the East. I have been, and I'm not a magic fan. I don't care about the magic at all, but like <laughs> I've re- I really like Jalen Suggs. I really like Cole Anthony. I love Jonathan Isaac coming out. I was mm-hmm. like, this dude is going to be a defensive stopper. Obviously, he's had some just terrible injury luck. Um, you know, I, Suggs was hurt, you know, last year too. Uh, Franz Wagner, I was shocked that he slipped as far as he did in the draft, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. I think that this team is on the verge. If if Paolo can be any kind of a uh, – a threat. If he can, if he can do what we think he's capable of, and I do think <clears throat> he's going to win Rookie of the Year, mainly because this team's going to be successful. Um, mm-hmm. I think that between him and uh, the guard play that they have, along with like Wendell Carter Jr., had a pretty decent year. Like he, he, he didn't. He wasn't just like a reclamation project, right? The same thing with Fultz. Mm. Like Fultz, you know, Carter Jr. averaged fifteen and ten. Like, right. That's, that's solid. Right. I mean, that's, that's good. Um, they have a lot of young talent. We could even see them make a trade at the deadline to maybe add some veteran players. Cause they have, you know, some capital in terms of players that they're a little too deep in, in, in some places. Right. Um, they have mm-hmm. a little too much young talent. Um, but I just, I love the construction of this team. If Jonathan Isaac is healthy, which is a big, if obviously, you know, he oh, hasn't man. been healthy for a long time, but if he can bring them anything in terms of, 
of defense and um, just, you know, even if it's only 25 minutes a game, I think this team, because what we worry about with young teams is defense, right? That's what we worry Mm -hmm. about. But Wagner was surprisingly excellent at defense. Jalen mm-hmm. Suggs, I mentioned this before, and I, I'm going to be all, we're, we're doing hot takes now, so I'm going to be high. I'm going to be Nick Wright hyperbole. I think Jalen <laughs> Suggs could be Chris Paul. Like his defense is that good, right? He could be that 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 small guy who is a good defender. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not saying offensively he's that, but defensively Suggs is there. They have a lot of defensive pieces that young teams don't typically have, and so right. if Paolo, and that's why I mentioned Paolo, if Paolo and Anthony. And they can get some more scoring from um, from from Wendell Carter Jr. This team can be dangerous. They are going to win if you you're going to have to play them every night with your best. If you come out soft, they're going to steal a game from you. And so I, mm-hmm. I think they're going to. I think that's going to happen a lot. Um, I think they won 22 games last year, if I'm correct. Correct. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you only need to see uh, an 18 win swing here to make the playoffs. Probably uh, mm-hmm. 40 games should get you in. Um, at least into the play-in <clears throat> game. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is the I think this is the Magic's year to take a leap. Yeah, and so I'm kind of glad that we're having this conversation because I kind of posed this on TikTok as a thing and got a lot of flack for mm. it. And the thing is, I I believe that there are two sides to this in which i also i understand why this could be considered like an l take so to speak but i also want to kind of give the side for why it's a good take i'm going to start with why it's an l take the first yeah. thing is of course the, the the l take perspective of course is the significant jump required to be able to go from being the worst team in the eastern conference to being a playoff caliber team right obviously you were talking about you mentioned an 18 game swing just to be able to make the playoffs with 40 wins last year. The threshold to even make the play in for the Eastern Conference was 43 wins with mm-hmm. the with the Charlotte Hornets. So, of course, even with an 18 point uh, with an 18 game swing, there is margin for error where they could still come just short or maybe even not close, depending on the circumstances. So, of course, that uh, that alone just mathematically right makes it seem like that's just going to be much more difficult to do than normal. The other thing that you could probably factor in is easily if we just did the typical power rankings thing right if me and you sit here and go through the list and we say are the are, are the miami heat better yes are the celtics better yes are the bucks better yes are the sixers raptors yes the bulls some people might not think so i would hope so considering zach levine and demar Derozan compared to anybody that orlando has on their team right mm-hmm. now i would hope so that there's more faith in bulls than them the nets now that we know that kevin durant is staying especially i think people should believe in them atlanta they better be, be- better than orlando after the trade they made this offseason for Dejounte murray the cavaliers the cavaliers actually sneakily have a lot more fans <laughs> in social media than i thought than i thought after these last couple of I don't know. These this last season or two has got people coming around on them. But then so so of course, that's nine teams deep. But I think after you get to that point, every team from the the Hornets down has significant questions, including the Magic, of course, because you talk about Jonathan Isaac, Lord, you could make a drinking game about out of how many times I've went into a season and said, yeah. if Jonathan, Jonathan Isaac is healthy, this will happen. Yeah, right. I've probably done that for at least the last three to four years, honestly. And I haven't been able to reap the benefits of it yet. <laughs> I'm hoping soon he will be able to help a bro out. Right. But 
If you look at the Hornets, they really didn't improve this offseason. And then losing Miles Bridges essentially for nothing, uh, pending issues off court, of course. We don't talk about those on you know a basketball-related yeah. pod, but they obviously affect the on-the-court play. You're losing a guy who was their leading scorer last season and played the most games and the most minutes for them last year. And now you're relying on mm, Gordon Hayward to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Good gamble. No, it's not, actually. Right. The New York Knicks, right? They made a big acquisition, if that's how you want to call it, in Jalen Brunson this offseason, who was arguably the best, most available player mm-hmm. available on the market, right? When you take out guys like Zach, Bradley, James, the guys who were not, were not actually available, but were free agents, right? right? When you talk about guys that were actually available, Jalen Brunson was probably the best, but you literally had to wine and dine his dad and throw him nearly as much money as the <laughs> Dallas Mavericks did to right. even make it close, right? And then I think you look at that roster and you say, there's not really a lot going on in terms of understanding what they're trying to do. You have Jalen Brunson, they're going after Donovan Mitchell, which is good, but how does two small guards operate within a you know a playoff caliber offense? Mm-hmm. We've seen Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum do it, but we've also seen the ceiling that that has. Yeah. You have to have a lot of faith in RJ Barrett. A lot of people want Julius Randle gone. They signed two centers in Isaiah Hartenstein and uh and in uh Robinson, and they both got a lot of money, low-key, mm-hmm. as as a you know, co- combined this offseason. So it kind of just seems like they did a whole lot to make noise while not really doing anything to truly improve their team, right? Like I think they look better on paper, but I don't think they're going to be much better in the standings. The Wizards are the Wizards. As long as Bradley Beal has as much money as he is, they're going to have to just bank on internal development for them to get any better than what they've been. The Pacers are really young, and I like them. And I think Tyrese Halliburton is a very good answer to a lot of their questions. But I I I still think they have a lot of questions left to be answered one of them just being do they still want miles turner on this team right right because yeah. i think he has a lot to do with their playoff circumstances the pistons i like them because i love k cunningham as a player yeah. and i think jay nivey's gonna be legit i think that i like sadiq bay and i think i like um a handful of the dudes that they have on their team but i don't know if they necessarily have i don't necessarily know if they're gonna make a playoff caliber jump yet Orlando is in a situation where they addressed the number one thing that bugged them out the most last season, and that was the ability to score the basketball. When you look at their team last Mm -hmm. year, they did not have a single guy that you could look at and say, he can go get me a bucket. I think people wanted to believe based off the mentality and the play style of Cole Anthony that he was that guy. But I don't think that down the stretch, especially in high leverage situations, that he is the guy that they want to be relying on long term. You get that in Paulo Bancaro, I think that's huge. I think Markel Fultz, he's going to be somebody that I think we talk about in terms of the MIP race next year. Mm I think, again, the Jonathan Isaac thing is a hill I'm going to die on, and hopefully eventually it you know, it comes to fruition. But him and Wendell Carter are going to be solid, I think, in the front court. I think, I think Mo Bamba had one of his best seasons last year, and him coming back shows some kind of faith that yeah. maybe is a little blind, but I think may actually come out to pay dividends for them. The guard spot is their only real question, and I think if they're able to get some significant play out of Markel, Cole, and any combination of Jalen Suggs and or RJ Hampton, this team is legitimately deep and they make sense. And they were a team that was top 10 in defense after yeah. the All-Star break last year. You mentioned the defense thing last uh, um, in your when you were talking about them earlier. The defense thing, typically teams that are top 10 defenses by the end of the year make the postseason. Yeah. 
Now, that's not a great correlation when we're talking about the Orlando Magic. Sure, right. But at the same time, I think it's something worth uh, at least taking a look at. I want to ask you this about Orlando because I think they are a team that makes a lot of sense right now. But I feel as though there is still maybe potentially one more thing that has to happen before they really start to make sense. When you look at the roster, I kind of named a whole bunch of guys already, obviously. Uh, Franz is another guy who I didn't even mention in terms of the kind of upside they have going into next year. Like, what do you think is the thing that they are missing right now that makes it where it is hard to believe that they are a playoff caliber team? Because I feel as though they have a lot of the pieces at least from a talent perspective, but I think they're just riddled so much in youth that people are having a hard time believing. I think offensively, you mentioned it. Like, I think that that to me is like the, I mean, you know, you mentioned Cole Anthony. He didn't have a choice but to be the number one option, you know, most mm-hmm. of the year. Him, him, and, him and Wagner kind of, you know, traded that, um, that, mantle back and forth um because i I, again i think the defense is going to be there i think there are going to be games when they struggle to score and because powell's rookie he's not going to be able to pick up the slack because he is a rookie but i think one thing that we don't talk about last year with the magic we just say well they were the worst team in the league well they had a lot of injuries not just jonathan isaac Mm -hmm. cole anthony only played 65 games suggs only played 40 five 48 games mm-hmm. um um you know Fultz he only played like 20 games like it's not like they had a lot of these players on the court with them last year right, right? so you know this is the year that we see all these players play together you know Wagner and Carter Jr. played the most games out of anybody in Mobamba I think they they all played like 70 games but everyone else had significantly significant time missed mm-hmm. um so that matters too, right? I think that their win total would have been much higher if they would have, uh, you know, been healthier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now injuries happen, and you got to be able to sustain success through injuries, right? But mm-hmm. there's a lot of players that I just mentioned that didn't play very, you know, they didn't, they barely played half the season. So I think that matters. I think injuries uh, and experience, because um, there was a lot of you know young players on this team that were developing mm-hmm. last year. So just experience, having the same coach, having the same system and working Palo in, I just think it makes such a big difference, you know? And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I looked back at, I, I did my homework on this one. Right. And so I looked back <laughs> to see like, what, <clears throat> what's a logical jump for a team to make, you know, we're not asking them to be like the Celtics when they signed K or when they got KG and Paul uh, and uh, Ray Allen. And they, they went from being like a, t- a bottom team to like uh, the first team, you know, in the league, like a 60 win mm-hmm. team, right? That's like the biggest turnaround ever. But like last year, if you look, and I think this is a good indication is the Cavs is a good marker. For mm, them, right? Is good because point. they added Evan Mobley and Mobley changed the way their team was able to play. It was a change. He changed the way they were able to function. And mm-hmm. by doing that, it opened up, uh, the game for other players. And I think that's what Powell's going to do for them. And so they went from, you know, a 0.259 winning percentage, which if you look at the winning percentage of the magic, uh, 
Sorry, I'm getting real nerdy, but I think this is important. Nah, go get nerdy. I like it. So, so, so last year, the cat or in 2021, the Cavs winning percentage was 0.278, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Magic's was 0.268. Okay. The Cavs improved by 0.259, right? So they that their winning percentage improved by about 26%. If the Magic were able to win 40 games, which you mentioned they probably might have to win more, but let's just say 40 games, 41 games even is the, mm-hmm. the measure. That's all only a 22% improvement over last year. That's less than what the Cavs did. Um, and it's the same thing with Minnesota. Minnesota in, in 2021, they were a 0.319. They improved to 0.56, which was a 24% improvement. Okay. Mm-hmm. They were obviously a playoff team, you know, different situations, but you get the, you get the idea here is uh, this is not like an extreme jump, right? This isn't like mm-hmm. some 18 games is a lot. It seems like a lot when you say 18 games, but it's not something that we, we didn't, we, we haven't seen happen. We, we saw uh, actually, I think three teams do it last year of, mm-hmm. of, of making that kind of jump an 18, uh, 18 or more win jump. So I don't think it's like crazy. I think this team is skilled and I'm just going to, sorry, I'm just going to jump ahead to my second point because you mentioned them. I don't, I think Atlanta is going to be worse. I don't think Atlanta is making the playoffs and that's who I think Orlando is taking the place of. And, um, okay. And the reason is, is like, I love DeJounte Murray. I, Mm -hmm. if I could pick a player for the Lakers to put on their team right now, it would be DeJounte Murray because I feel like he is an excellent uh, defender. He's a good scorer. He does those little things. You know, part of that is being on a team like the Spurs. Sorry for uh, for kidnapping the podcast real quick, but I just think that no, it's cool. I feel like <laughs> these two points just mesh together. Mm-hmm. And so um, I know it's popular for people to be like, man, Alina, Alina's doing stuff. But like, if you look at their roster, like, have you really like dug into the roster at all? Like, I mean, they're pretty. I mean, they're constructed in a way where I think they have a lot of depth to the point that it's actually detrimental. I actually think they have a lot of almost too many things that are too good to the point that I feel like they're sitting on assets and they need to allocate. It's all the same player, though. That's my biggest mm-hmm. issue. The tallest players on their team are Clint Capella and John Collins, six ten mm-hmm. and six nine. The, they don't have another player that's six nine or above. They are mm-hmm. the smallest team in the league right now, and. You know, if you look back at their success two years ago, the reason that they were so successful, if you look at the correlation between their their on-court splits, it was because of Bogdan Bogdanovich. When he actually played, they were lights out. They were like a 65% win team when he played. Mm-hmm. And the reason that was is because he took some of the ball handling uh you know, the, the struggles, responsibilities. yeah, responsibilities mm-hmm. away from Trey. They've been trying to trade him since the season ended, which I don't really understand. You know, they got rid of Herder. They, they, they moved on, um, on, uh, on DeJounte, which I get, but you're starting a backcourt of DeJounte Murray and Trey young. I don't care how good DeJounte Murray is. He's six, four, right? Like he's a small guard. Who, if you're going, and if you got to think about the East, right? And this is the way I, I, I viewed it. Even, even 
you know, take out the fact that you have to play Embiid, take out the fact that you have to play Giannis, right? Take out the mm-hmm. fact that you, you, you're going to have to play now a full, uh, Nets roster. Hopefully, you know, they're healthy, but like, those are bigger teams. Like that's a difficult mm-hmm. who, you know, you put, you throw that Nets team out there. Who's DeJounte guarding? Like who, who is Trey guarding? Like they are, there are significant defensive holes in this team. I think at this mm-hmm. point, uh, and yeah, okay, you have DeAndre Hunter, you have like, I love AJ Griffin, I think he was a great draft pick, but essentially, you traded Cam Reddish and you filled him with a player who I think is basically Cam Reddish is a little better, you know, mm. and he's a rookie, right? Um, I just, I'm not big on this team. I, I mean, you're relying a lot on uh, Okongwu, and you're relying a lot on DeAndre Hunter, and the Holiday mm. Brothers, and Mo Harkless, like, these are players that don't, that don't spur confidence in terms of like you are putting a lot of weight on them. So, right. and they've been trying to trade John Collins too. So like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if Bogdanovich and Collins are going to be on this team and maybe they land another superstar and that just changes thing. But like, when you look at the size of this team and you look at their defensive capabilities, Atlanta struggled last year with these things. They were middle of the road defensive team. They were a top tier offensive team, but they were middle of the mm-hmm. road defensive team. And I feel like they got worse. Brian, I love the way that you ended that because I think that we can go. I think that we. I'm going to go back to the original point with the Orlando Magic and work my way all the yeah. way through your Atlanta Hawks t- take because I do think you make a really good point about how these two things correlate, not only in terms of them switching spots, which I think is a great way for you to also preface your comment about the idea of Orlando making the uh, the playoffs is, okay, well, who comes out? That's the first thing someone's mm-hmm. going to ask you, right. and I think it's a great thing that you already had that plan, and I think it's interesting that you come up with Atlanta. So I want to start with Orlando in this sense and, move, like I said, work my way back. So something that you had mentioned you had made and uh, made a comparison to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I think that's such a great point to make for this reason. And you made the point a, a little bit in terms of the percentages winning wise, but I want to talk about it from a little bit of more of a, a, a standard standpoint, right? When you look at the games played last season for uh, Cleveland, the season before, as opposed to last season, they literally doubled their winning total from 22 to 44. Mm -hmm. That is a 22-game jump that they made, and that is a team that had to factor in losing Colin Sexton within seven games, losing Ricky Rubio after that, thinking Karis LeVert might never play basketball again, Mm -hmm. having Jared Allen have injury, Darius Garland miss time, and the list actually continues. This is a team that is able to survive the grits of that and actually still, if it weren't for a play-in tournament game versus the Atlanta Hawks, we're still able to actually be a legitimate seat, legit, legitimately seated playoff team last season by the end of the year, by the end of the regular season. Why is that the case? The defensive chops of the team. Now you go back to the Orlando Magic point that we made beforehand. This is a team, like you said, that is getting a defense that is has, already has a defensive mindset. First of all, something you can't even say about most young teams. <laughs> yeah, right. First off, yeah. I think is is his own thing. It's always a great thing to be able to say that a young team is taking pride more on the defensive end. That the defensive numbers actually show much more stride in what the team's capabilities are than the offensive teams. Because we know the young guys, they tend yeah. to want to run, run up and down the court, jack threes, do everything they can to be able to show off the bag mm-hmm. and put up the scat put up the stats right but the the fact that they are able to 
reflect most of their impact, at least what we saw last season on the defensive end, I think is actually a great way for them to kind of start out in terms of moving forward. Grabbing a guy like Paulo Beccaro, who I think, like you said, is a difference-making level rookie like Evan Mobley from the opposite end of the mm -hmm. ball, because right. Evan Evan was impactful defensively. Yeah, absolutely. I think Orlando has the defensive chops already with certain personnel they have. Now you give Paulo, who is an offensive guy, the reins in order to be in order to be able to upgrade the roster from that standpoint. Now you're just looking at it from the perspective of them being able to play up to that level, being able to continue to play on defense, getting those guys back healthy, something that Cleveland couldn't even say for most of last year. So when you talk about that kind of jump, if you use Cleveland as an example, you can make the argument that Orlando is following a similar path to Cleveland, just in a different framework of how they're getting to that point. I think that's a great point by itself. Now, let's get to the Atlanta part. You ended it on the defense, and I think, again, that's where we're going to pick it up. That is the part where Atlanta has taken the most step back. If you actually look at all the things that they've done this past offseason, they've actually almost put a lot of more emphasis on the hopes that the guys they already have on the roster are just going to be able to hold up. I mean, just looking at some of the things they did with Kevin Herter, for example, getting rid of him uh, to Sacramento – They've also kind of given up on the idea of being able to have significant three-point shooting on this team. Yeah. So now the floor spacing is worse, and you're just banking on guys on the roster to be able to shoot the three. Or I guess you're banking on Trey Young's off-ball game to be Steph Curry level in the first season mm -hmm. he's ever been required to, to maybe move a little bit more off the ball. I think there's a lot more hope in DeJounte Murray than maybe there should be. I think this team is interesting. I like the makeup of them, and I told you this when we talked on your podcast, that I think they addressed their biggest need in terms of at least what is on the what was on the roster or their biggest hole, which was whenever whenever excuse me, whenever Trey Young came off the floor, this team was garbage. Yeah. So yeah. being able to have a secondary ball handler who could come off the bench, who could split time when, with Trey Young either on the floor together or when he's off is a great thing. But you mentioned it before. They have so many questions, and they all have to do with guys who play significant roles on the defensive end for them. Clint Capella, who is he for this team? Yeah. I have no clue. DeAndre Hunter is probably solidified in his space, but he's a guy who we've seen significant upside from, but we haven't seen a big enough sample size to know what form of player he is yet. You look at A.J. Griffin, I like him, but he slid for a reason. You know what I mean? And I think you look overall at this roster construction and you say they have Trey Young, they have DeJounte, you feel good about John, despite the fact that John Collins has been on the trade block like every year, it feels like. Yeah. There's just, it's almost like there's more questions about Atlanta than there is about Orlando. And that's kind of weird. Mm hmm. And it yeah. should give you a cause to pause. And I think that's a great point that you bring up in terms of that being maybe one of those teams that's the odd team out. I think that Atlanta is in a situation where after making the Eastern Conference Finals, they thought that they had found an identity and it quickly was ripped away from them. And yeah. now they're back to trying to figure out who that is. And I don't know if they're entering the season with that knowledge just yet. So I think those are really great points all across the board. Yeah, I think the biggest question for me for like and you 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 brought it up and I think that it makes it makes sense in a vacuum to look at the improvement of adding Deontay um DeJounte Murray and mm -hmm. and like you said, like 
you know, they relied so much on Lou Williams in the past to be that, oh, you know, that offense off the bench, right? Because they didn't mm-hmm. really have uh, that scoring. They and they depended on Herter a lot, right? They 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 needed Herter and Bogdanovich. Like I said, those were the primary ball handlers when Trey wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Bogdanovich has been injury prone. He hasn't played a full season in a while. He was injured in the playoffs. Like you can't rely on him as a player. Like I I like him, but you can't. Mm-hmm. Dejounte has been much more sturdy and healthy, and but I just can't get over their size, man. Like I like, I know that small ball is Mm -hmm. like something that they, that, that the league is moving towards. Mm -hmm. But when you play in the East, like, I mean, just looking like I just named a bunch of those teams, but like, they're going to get destroyed. I mean, are they ever going to get a rebound against Boston? If Robert Williams is healthy, are they ever going to get a rebound? I mean, it's Brian, the way that where you're at, and I hate to cut you off real quick, but I want to I want to make this point because I think what you're saying is something that is really important from this standpoint. I'm going to speak as a Bulls fan right now, mm-hmm. and I'm going to pass the baton back to you in this sense. I told you on your podcast that one of the most disappointing things about this past season was that I felt as though the Chicago Bulls, for, at least for the beginning half of the season, had had arguably the best year in recent memory, and I still saw them as not even close to title contention, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I followed that up by saying the toughest part about watching last year as a Bulls fan is knowing that last year might have been one of the most exciting seasons we had between the stepping up of Zach Levine coming off of the Olympics DeMar DeRozan being a top seven to top 10 MVP candidate throughout the entirety of the entirety of the regular season, even despite him kind of watering down throughout the back end of the year. And then our reward for that was playing the Milwaukee Bucks, who are arguably the biggest team in the conference and maybe even one of the biggest teams in the league against my team that we were starting Six foot four Javante Green at the four <laughs> yeah, earlier right, yeah. on in the season. Right. You understand what I'm saying? We were starting Derek Jones Jr. at the mm-hmm. four earlier on in the regular season. We picked up Tristan Thompson, who became a meme overnight for yeah. pregame shooting bricks, to be a big time size addition for us, and he barely played in the postseason. Mm-hmm. I think when you look at Atlanta, they're not much better than us. No, they are no, not right. much better than us, if at all better than us, especially when you look at the fact that we are not really even sure what their roster is going to look like if some of these guys that are quote unquote on the trade block actually get moved. Right. Yeah. No, so I, agree. I think that's great. I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, you mentioned the Bulls. I mean, Vucevic could have a 40 point game against this team. Like, I'm just being like legit, like, like there's no one. I mean, if, if, if you don't play Capella, I, I just don't know. When they go up against some of these bigger teams, mm-hmm. who uh, who is going to guard these players? Who is going to guard anybody with a center? Like it just mm-hmm. you you're hoping to do small ball and run them off the court. And you know, let me. I, I'm just going to take a like this is. I'm just going to generalize this, and we can move on and do whatever you want. But like mm-hmm. one of the things that makes me laugh is when people try to replicate the small ball stuff that like <clears throat> that that like Golden State did so well. Or mm-hmm. that even even if you go back to like uh, the Spurs playing Tim Duncan at center, like they 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 kind of invented small ball. People don't want to talk about it, but like you know they were playing Kawhi at the four at some at some points, you know, um, mm-hmm. back in the day. But like you have to have the players to do that, right? It's not just like oh we got a bunch of six right. eight six seven players who can switch on defense. 
No, mm-hmm. because look when Boston was the most effective. Everybody's like, oh, it's their small. No, it was when they played Horford and Robert Williams together. That is when that team exactly. was elite. Mm-hmm. And you already mentioned uh, Milwaukee. No, when that team was at its best is when Lopez and Giannis were on the floor together. They were almost mm-hmm. unstoppable. You throw out Bobby Porters for some offense, and now all of a sudden it's like we can't guard this team, right? right. So, like, I, the small ball thing is, like, I, I love some of these teams that go out there and play small ball because it's like you get ran off the court real quick and you understand like that. Yeah. Yes. We've moved away from the centers, but guess what? The three players who were in contention for the MVP are all seven foot. Like that's a reason, <laughs> right? There's a reason for that. You know, uh-huh. um, like I love, I love watching Trey young shoot. I love watching Steph shoot. That doesn't mean that you need to build your whole team around small ball. It's just, I don't know. It makes me it makes me laugh a little bit now. Sorry. I think you make no. I think you make a great point about that. And I think oh oh oh, we're not necessarily going to transition, but I think I want to take like a little intermission to talk about that point for a second. Um, the idea of small ball taking over the league and the the potential pros and cons of it. And I think the pros of it, of course, is versatility, yes. right? Obviously, yeah. when yeah. you play with a when you play with a traditional big man, you have one guy who sits in the middle of the paint and does not create much action for you unless he's crazy active around the glass. Something that is kind of more of an effort thing, not necessarily something that you can just kind of point at a center and say, "Go do that." Mm-hmm. Not every rim running center is an elite rim running center, right. right? That's why the center position gets very dry after the first four or five guys because the skill set detriment drops all the way down to, oh, this guy can ball handle a little bit. This guy can shoot. (laughs) This guy can step out and maybe hit corner threes to this guy jumps and runs and dunks a lot. He Mm -hmm. can block shots. So we start to very much generalize the big man position once we get past Mm -hmm. the first five or six guys, right? So even with that being the case, you look at the situation where going small definitely creates versatility on the outside. The Clippers, for example, are a great representation great of this yeah, yeah. in the sense that they were able to play small ball. And this was successful against a team that played a little bit more traditionally like Dallas. Two years mm-hmm. in a row, they had Christos Porzingis at the five and they were able to go at him religiously. Same thing with any team that would try to combat the old Utah Jazz squads mm-hmm. against Rudy Gobert. You go up against all these other perimeter guys on the outside. None of them we could, were playing a lick of defense, which just puts a whole bunch more pressure and Rudy Gobert, mm-hmm. putting all that pressure on the rim, eventually the man's going to foul. He's a very disciplined guy, but Rudy Gobert is going to be caught in foul trouble when that many guys are running to the basket <laughs> freely, right? Yeah. So, of course, there's all of these transitions that create mismatches for teams that want to play the traditional style by putting all of these small guys who can dribble pass and shoot on the floor. Definitely agree with that. Now, on the flip side of that, the negatives to that is the idea that there are teams that are able to play within that small ball style, I'll use the Clippers again, while still having significant size on the floor. Mm -hmm. If you look at the Clippers, or I'll give you another really interesting example in their own conference, the Toronto Raptors. They were in a situation where they did not run a single seven-foot guy in their Mm -hmm. roster. But they are a hard-nosed team with significant length with guys like OG Adenobi, guys like Pascal, obviously Scotty. Even though Fred Van Vliet is a smaller guard, he plays with significant hustle on the defensive end, something that at the guard spot you don't typically get a lot of guys that can get average 25-5 and five and play strong defense mm-hmm. on the other side of the floor. Gary Trent Jr. was an upside guy on the wing as a secondary guard for them as well. And they were able to play without seven-footers because they had length. Orlando. 
ironically enough, yeah. falls into yeah. this category. If we look at what's right, what kind of lineup they'll be running out next year, right? If Markel Fultz is starting at the one, you could have a roster where you could have you could have a starting lineup that has Markel at the one, Franz at the two, a guy like Paulo at the three or the four, and similar with being able to interchange guys like Jonathan Isaac and Wendell Carter, right? And still having guys like Chumo Okeke, like uh, Mo Bamba, like, uh, uh, granted, these guys are smaller, but Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs competes on the defensive end, though. Cole Anthony tries his butt off despite the fact that, you know, he is undersized. Even them, they are they have personnel that says, okay, they're small, but they're big at mm. the same time, right? There's that versatility from both fronts of it. The league is transitioning to the point where small ball is the idea of just not having a seven-footer on the floor. But the, 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 the big telling point of it is the size across the lineup is still relatively large. It's just right. large at unconventional yeah, positions. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. the, that's the key. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah you, you, you had, you, you like, that's the thing that's missed is like, yeah, well we, you know, we're, we have a six, eight center, but we also have a six, mm-hmm. eight, two guard, right? Like we're all, we're, 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 exactly. we're, we're, we're playing these players and that's, I know that that's kind of what their thinking is in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I just think that like your best offense is with your worst defenders on the court. So it's like right. the trade-off isn't always there. You know, like you, you mentioned, you mentioned, um, the the Clippers and what was so amazing about those teams is they were all like between you know six six and six eight but they exactly. could score like that's the exactly. other thing they all could create their own shot you could put you you could put Terrence Mann in the corner and he was going to knock down that shot every single uh-huh. time we saw it happen he you know knocking down six threes because he can shoot but guess what mm-hmm. he can also switch on three to four different guys that you had, you know what I mean? Right. And, you know, there were even points in that, in that matchup where they were putting him, him on Rudy. It's like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. It, but it, right. it, 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 it's because offensively, those are such plus lineups, right? Um, right. It forces you to, the, the, it's hard. It's going to be hard if, if Trey is not on the court to function offensively, even with DeJounte on the team, because they mm-hmm. are so small. Um, that just puts a lot of pressure on DeJounte to score, which, it's fine if you have another scorer on the team. If John Collins is really on the team, he to me is the he's the X factor. If Collins can work himself into mm. this team, I think Collins is a superb player. He's the perfect type of player they want to play with on the scheme. So it's why mm-hmm. I question why they've tried to trade him multiple times or why he's been on the block. Like it just he doesn't seem like he's happy. He doesn't seem like they're happy. So I think a lot of the way that Alina goes is if they trade him for another player and how that player fits into their scheme. Yeah, I think overall, the one thing that gets really lost in the small ball lineup is that versatility is the key to that being able to work. When you look at anybody that is running a quote unquote small ball lineup effectively, it's always within the ideal that everybody across the court for that starting five is able to guard more than one position on the floor yes, effectively. Exactly. Otherwise they are put in a position where they are simply just trying to outscore the other team. Yep. And that is not a proper adjustment when trying to play that. We talked about that a ton during our series reviews during the, uh, the finals, when we talked about the, uh, the Boston Celtics and the way their lineup was constructed, mm-hmm. having that lineup set up, especially when you talked about Robert Williams and um, Al Horford on the team, those two were interchangeable in terms of where they were able to play. And Robert Williams, of course, being a guy who could protect the rim with ease, honestly, yeah. was insane. We talked about how he was an X factor for that series where pretty much any time that he did play, Boston did damage mm-hmm. against Golden State. And when he was ineffective or when he was not on the floor, 
Boston suffered. But yes. it was because of the fact that despite the fact that they were running a particularly sizable lineup, there was versatility across the board. Right. Yep. Yeah, small ball is more about the versatility aspect than just the size of your guys. Not having a seven-footer on the floor is not that that's not a true definition of playing small ball effectively. Playing right. small ball effectively is definitely more so about the ability to not have a seven-footer on the floor, but still be nearly as effective defensively as if you had that that shot blocker behind. You. Exactly. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. And I mean offensively, I think you could say the same thing about like not having a rim runner but still mm -hmm. having ways to put pressure on the rim without a big and all that other great stuff but um with that being the case i want to transition to your uh, your last and based on the order that i think you did your biggest hot take actually yeah and so i'm going to say this with um all confidence i'm super excited <laughs> and I'm, I'm just gonna say this i'm going to put some money down on this i'm not just like oh I'm okay just, i'm not just throwing it i'm going you know i'll be placing this bet here um in the next coming weeks, because I think that the numbers are going to get even better in my favor. But okay, uh, my pick to make the finals uh, from the West is Denver. Uh, okay. I think that I like this. This is. <laughs> I think that this is Denver's year. I think the West is obviously tough as nails. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's going to be uh, a brutal, a brutal test for any team to get to the finals this year because we already mentioned memphis and minnesota i think those teams are going to be better um new orleans we didn't even talk about they're going to be a lot yeah. better they, they're going to be very dangerous and i mm -hmm. even there was parts of me that like i, I there were things I, I i would could have made hot takes about them uh the clippers are going to be full strength finally Mm -hmm. I, I'm a, I'm less high on the Clippers just because we don't know what that team looks like. There's a lot of like injury questions, you know, obviously mm -hmm. um, Sacramento should be better. Portland should be better. Um, there's a lot of questions though, in my opinion about how good Golden State and Phoenix are going to be this year because of the turmoil that they went through in the off season. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I, I have questions, you know, Chris Paul's in, in year like, uh, 50 and um <laughs> uh Aiden uh, reluctantly signed a contract i don't know how happy he is we'll see if he mm -hmm. i he, he's centric central to that team performing well golden mm -hmm. state lost to me to our you know Otto porter jr and gary payton jr. they don't win the title if they don't have those two players on the court mm -hmm. so um you know the rookies uh wiseman coming back moody and uh kaminga are gonna have to fill some of that loss we'll see um i think that you know that obviously there's still a threat but this should be denver's window right here this is our opportunity they got jamal murray coming back <laughs> hopefully Michael Porter Jr. is healthy, and they made some really interesting moves that I think just made the team better as a whole. Um, I I love Bruce Brown. I love adding him to this team from a defensive standpoint and just his ability to take some pressures uh, off other players. Mm -hmm. Pope, Caldwell Pope, offensive player that they need because, you know, once if MPG, MPJ got hurt uh, and Jamal Murray was hurt, so, like, the offense just was so – you know, Joker centric, you know, it mm -hmm. made it really rough. Um, I, I just, I really like the way this team is constructed. I like their depth. Uh, I think we're going to see improvement from some of the younger players coming up. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I think this team is uh, bound to win 60 games, be mm -hmm. a top seed and 
they should this is this is their chance if they're all healthy if everything comes together the way it should and mm-hmm. you know the team is is intact they should make the finals in my opinion man and i want to i want to shout you out for this really quick before i kind of go in on your point and just by saying i'm so glad that you went about your predictions in this way because it's hilarious i i've i've wanted to put so much more focus on not just having strong basketball conversations on this podcast, but talking about more teams that don't get a lot of conversation yeah. around the league, right? Um, it's one of those things. I've actually talked to you about this off camera a lot, that this is something I want to put a lot more emphasis on because me and you are very heavy consumers of basketball podcasts. And when you tend to go throughout the the mainstream uh, you know, cycle of podcasts in this NBA space, there's a lot of teams that kind of, get the same storylines, yeah. the same headlines throughout the entire season, and they don't get discussed much. And there's 30 teams in the NBA, and a lot of them have something interesting to talk about. I think the Magic, I think I think Memphis, I think Minnesota, even Atlanta, I think everybody has interesting questions that are going to make them watchable next season. And I think that by being able to exclamation point this whole thing, by talking about the Denver Nuggets, I think is a great way to actually crescendo this too, because they are – in a weird way, a sleeping giant, and for all the wrong reasons. Like, they are a sleeping giant because people are not acknowledging them, not because they are a team that has not been around and is now quietly on the come up. They are a team that has been a model of consistency on the back of Nikola Jokic for the better part of at least two to three seasons, and they are still in a situation where the way my friend Rashad actually posted this, he's a huge Nuggets fan, he said they are still proving themselves to the mainstream media. And I think Mm -hmm. that's one of those things that needs to be addressed because like you just said, I think they are, I think they are a clear cut title title contender out of the Western conference. I think they should be somewhere at least considered in the top three of contenders to come out of the Western conference. When you talk about their roster construction, they have a two time MVP on their roster. And for the last season and a half, at least we have said two things about the Denver nuggets that have been holding them back. They have not had their other two stars healthy and their defense around Nikola Jokic has struggled. They get Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back. Granted, the Michael Porter Jr. thing is a little bit more question than Jamal is just out of the fact that Michael Porter has had it a bit more consistently. But when Jamal Murray comes back, although he might be a little slow in terms of reacclimating back, we know that he is a guy that when he gets hot, he can be dangerous. And I think it's only going to take one or two games of seeing that for it to really turn his season around. And then we talk about the defense. End. You made that great point beforehand. KCP is a three and D shooter. Bruce Brown, who although he is a four offensively, he is a very switchable guy on the defensive end that guarded one through three, sometimes even small ball fours mm-hmm. when he played played for Brooklyn. He's a guy who is a great cutter, a high energy guy, and a dude that I think Nikola Jokic is going to have some fun passing the mm-hmm. ball to in terms of diming him on cuts. They still have Aaron Gordon for length. I still think that they're in a situation where with Bones Highland coming off the bench, they clearly showed a lot of faith in him by them being willing to trade off of Monte Morris, who I thought was a solid rotational guard for them, right? That just goes to show you how much they believe in Bones, Mm -hmm. which could be its own kind of a sign as to what they could be doing this season. So I think it's really great that not only did every, pretty much every team you brought up is a team that doesn't fall into the the Cali squad affair, right, of the mm. two to three teams out of California that tend to get a lot of mainstream media attention or talking about the Nets or us talking about, you know, the typical teams that are always kind of in the media cycle because 
I think when you talk about bold predictions, especially for a season like this, with so many teams that are co- that are coming back with either improvements across the roster or just internal upgrades from the fact that there were so many dudes injured last year. Yeah. Again, I'm gonna say it. An- I'm gonna say it another time. I think you can look across the board at all 30 teams in the NBA this year and say that all of them are watchable for one reason or another. I really believe that. I really think that's the case. Yeah, and I think no. that this is one of those teams that definitely definitely should be at the top of the watchability list. I don't disagree with that at all. I, I mean, I, you you could easily make a case for any of these teams, like even the bad ones. I'm excited to watch Houston. You know, mm-hmm. I'm excited. I, I, I honestly, <laughs> the team I'm most excited, the team I'm least excited to watch is my own team. I'm not excited to watch the Lakers. <laughs> like that's the you know like, and I just and I, I truly say that from a basketball standpoint. Like you mm-hmm. know, LeBron, LeBron is LeBron, but like I mean, uh, that team was not easy to watch last year. But a lot of these teams yeah, have true. a lot of intriguing. You know, like there's just so much going on. So many injuries. We had so many injuries last year. You know, hopefully. this year isn't starting off great with Chet's injury. You know, that sucks. But like, hopefully this year's a little bit better in terms of injuries. Um, Mm -hmm. You always have one or two big injuries happen and that's just the way basketball is. But I think that I'm I'm going off on a little tangent here. I apologize. I think that no, you're fine. All the amount of basketball that was played between 2019 and last year, there was just not a lot of break time. Right. So you were just going to see more injuries just because there was more basketball played in a short amount of time, you know, with the the bubble and then the Olympics and then the um you know the the the, the season starting earlier last year <clears throat> excuse mm-hmm. me starting earlier just there wasn't a lot of time off and so players got hurt I think this year I think we're gonna see less resting because they had a full mm-hmm. off season right these teams had their their full four months to rest their players to get their bodies back um, camp starting. Um, uh, basketball is starting to come back right now, but I think players are going to, you know, take their time to get back. But I think once the season starts, we're, we're going to see a healthier season and that just makes good basketball all around. Mm-hmm. Now back to the nuggets. I think that people forget they went to the Western conference finals three years ago, right? Right. Two years ago, you know, they experienced the Murray injury and they ran against the Suns, which were, you know, one of the, I mean, they went to the finals, right? They played the, the mm-hmm. and the, the Suns had every chance to win this. So they played one of the best teams in basketball without, you know, their second star and they lost last mm-hmm. year. You know, they made it to the second round again with just basically Nikola Jokic and a bunch of circus clowns. Like that's the way it was. And they competed, right? They competed and they did, they did steal some games. Right. Um, so I, I don't, understand like if i if you go look at the over-unders which is something that i obviously did like their over-under i think is like 49 wins they won 48 mm-hmm. wins last year they had 48 they won right. 48 games last year right like mm-hmm. so you're saying they're gonna improve by by one or two games this year that doesn't make sense to me yeah the west is mm. maybe a little bit more difficult but this team should be significantly better than it's been the last few years just because jamal mm. murray is coming back you know, right. um, maybe we forgot who he was. Maybe he needs to remind us, but I don't, I mean, again, this is a hot take, but like, <laughs> even though the Joker won MVP the last two years, I don't think people realize how good he is outside of Denver in the media um, <laughs> and the voters. Like, I really don't think they do. Right. Mm-hmm. I just think that he gets slept on by like the, the average fan and it's because he's not flashy. He doesn't have dunks, but like 
he is just he is such a machine on the basketball court. He does have one of the highest IQs, and that cannot be that cannot be underrated. IQ mm-hmm. cannot be underrated. It makes or breaks a basketball player. You could have all the talent in the world. If you are missing IQ and effort, you're just going to be uh, another player in the NBA. They're all talented, right? It, so mm-hmm. that's what sets Draymond Green apart is because he's probably one of the smartest players to ever play the game, right? He is brilliant on the court. And I think Nikola Jokic is the same way. And you can never mm-hmm. count out a player like that. Like LeBron. The reason LeBron is so good is, yeah, he has athletic ability and he has work ethic, but the dude is a brain when it comes to basketball. Like, Mm -hmm. the dude has an insane amount of knowledge that he can just recall at the drop of a hat. So, this matters in terms of being successful in the league, and I think that – I just think Denver's being underrated. Yeah, man. I mean, I, it seems like I definitely have to put you and my friend Rashad in the group chat because I think that's the <laughs> only way in the world that we're going to get some real Nuggets conversation around here. Hopefully the comment section will help us find some more Nuggets fans out here. But I think that you I think you make really great points across the board when you talk about the Nuggets just being an underrated team and specifically Nikola Jokic. We talked about this a little bit more on the podcast that we did uh, that I did with Rashad when we talked about, you know, just dark horse contenders and he actually had the denver nuggets of course as a nuggets fan uh as a uh, dark horse contender and i think one of the biggest points that he had made was just the idea that i think people undervalue the impact that Nikola Jokic has been able to have and a point that i had followed up with that is that i think he just is perceived the way he is because he is not a typical looking MVP. Mm. And I think that's one of those things that it ends up reverberating across his team to the point that he is the guy who makes the engine go. And by far, it almost seems as though the the whole car is broken. And I don't think that's true at all. I actually think that he is a guy who on any given season should be considered as a lead candidate for the MVP. And I think that he is a guy that is going to come into this season now. He's fully committed to this team. The Denver Nuggets clearly are fully committed because with the way they did their offseason, they're actually going into the tax this year, mm-hmm. which means they yeah. are committed for the first Absolutely. for a team. That's a, that's a quiet point for a team that is typically trying to save money and stay under the luxury tax. They were committed to winning basketball games going into this season with the kind of moves that they made this past offseason acquiring talent. So with that being the case, I, I completely agree with you. A one-win jump is kind of nuts. I understand that the West is a bloodbath. I understand that the Eastern Conference is not going to be any slouch either this year, but I don't see a team that gets that kind of significant upgrades roster-wise, both internally and externally, and they only win one one more game than the season prior with everything that they endured. So I think that's a great point too. Brian, I really appreciate you for coming on the podcast. This is the part of the pod where I turn it over to you to be able to plug not only any content that you are making, but of course where people can find you on social media. Yes, thank you. Uh, you can find me on uh, TikTok at Cult of Pop. That's called with a K. I run the Cult of Pop web- website, which is a pop culture website. Two Guys, One Hoop is the basketball podcast, which uh, features Jay more than anybody else. Uh, <laughs> because obviously we love talking basketball. Uh, so you can also follow me on Instagram at Two Guys, One Hoop on there as well. And if you're into movies, I have uh, a movie podcast called The Midnight Film Review where I talk movies too. So um, there's plenty of places to find and listen to me. Yes, sir. And I mean, pretty big movie fans. So I've been tuning in a lot more to the TikToks, the blind TikTok rankings, Brian. I'm getting I'm getting used to those. I like those videos, man. Those <laughs> are the brutal. ones. It's brutal. Yeah, those yeah, are the ones, man. I haven't t- I haven't done a lot of basketball content just because 
Like I was kind of over the KD stuff. I'm just ready for the yeah. season to kind of get here. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, you know, I think you and I are going to do one a podcast uh, on, on my, it's going to be like a pretty big podcast uh, for mm-hmm. me and, and you. So and maybe we could get a third person in there. I don't know, but mm-hmm. um, we're going to hopefully be talking over unders predictions and things like that. So um, I got content coming up for the, for the NBA season. I, I, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm ready. Yeah, man, I'm definitely prepared for the NBA season as well. In order to be able to get to all of Brian's content, he listed it all out, so definitely check that out. But there'll also be in the links in the description, both on YouTube and on the podcast pages, where you can find this podcast on all streaming services. We are now live, so check out Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google. We're on Amazon now. Look, I'm I'm trying to make moves. You know, check out everything. Of course, you can also find me at the Knockdown J on TikTok as well. The uh, the question that I want to ask you guys in the comment section, kind of stir things up, is what is your one bold prediction for the 2022-23 NBA season? I'm really intrigued to see what you guys say. Like I said, leave that in the comment section down below or shoot, hit me up with a DM on either Twitter, uh, Instagram, or TikTok. But until next time, guys, peace out. <laughs>